Welcome to the new Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Docs in a Pod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Tamika Perry and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now, here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Tamika Perry. We're so pleased to have you join us today on Docs in a Pod. We come to you every week with a discussion of medical and health-related issues as they affect Medicare-eligible seniors and others. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host joining us today, Dr. Tamika Perry. Uh, Dr. Perry is a provider at Wellman at Redbird Square in Dallas, board certified in family medicine, and she's been in practice for over 15 years. Dr. Perry is passionate about travel and exploring the world with her 16-year-old daughter, and she has been to a whole lot of places and we're going to put on that list Antarctica, Australia, and South America on her to-do list. And we'll find out more about that. Uh, Dr. Perry, sleep apnea is what we're going to talk about today. And I'm sure, first of all, welcome. Good to see you again. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for having me. So I have checked off South America. And while I was there, I had no problem sleeping. Ironically, at home, I do. And I, I am interested to find out from Dr. Powell, what could my sleep issues be? Well, we're going to have him join us now. Dr. Charlie Powell is a physician and chief medical officer at Healthcare Associates of Texas, earned his Bachelor of Science and a doctorate in medicine from Louisiana State University in Shreveport, Louisiana, go Cats, completed his family medicine residency at the Naval Hospital in Pensacola, Florida. In New Orleans, he served as the director of clinical services at the Naval Ambulatory Care Clinic and also as a staff emergency physician at the St. Charles Parish Hospital. Dr. Powell is board certified in family medicine, and he's a member of the American Academy of Family Physicians. Married for 25 years, father to three, he calls wonderful children, and I'm sure they are. He enjoys spending time with his family, traveling, and everything. L-S-U, which is why Tamika wore purple today in it honor is. of you joining us. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Tamika. That's awesome. No hey, worries. Charlie, it's great to have you on. And I, I'm curious, sleep apnea is something a lot of people have heard about it. Most who don't have it have no idea what it is. And you're talking with a guy, me, diagnosed for me out of the blue with sleep apnea about two years ago. Uh, and it's been a, uh, an interesting journey. Absolutely. So, um, you know, when, when you talk about a disease state that uh, is very underdiagnosed, only about 15% of who we think has it in the U.S. has been diagnosed with it. Uh, it, it affects, you know, almost 25% of the adult Americans in the U.S., yet less than 15% of those actually have it have been identified. It, it's, it's a huge issue that we'll talk more in depth about today, about its related health problems and everything, but underdiagnosed. So I'm interested, what prompted your sleep study to get done to get diagnosed? Well, uh, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, what, what really prompted it was accidental. Uh, I was out of the blue diagnosed with AFib, arterial fibrillation, and uh, went into the hospital and, and was having trouble sleeping uh, and, and talked with uh, some of the uh, uh, hospitalists and uh, the physicians there. Uh, and they uh, uh, really came up with, well, you know what, on top of AFib, you have sleep apnea. Right. I had a very, so, I had a very high percentage of CO2, carbon dioxide in my blood, and that's really what led them to that diagnosis. 
Yeah, I understand. And, and plus, you know, when you're in the hospital, you're observed. You have nurses watching you. You have O2 monitors at all times, and it prompts a lot of sleep studies. I would say the number one reason I get people in to evaluate for sleep apnea, especially obstructive sleep apnea to be specific, is usually because the spouse is complaining of snoring or witnessed apneas where they stop breathing at night. But the second most common referral we see into sleep medicine really comes from hospitalizations. And Ron, you might be interested to know that having obstructive sleep apnea that's untreated puts you at a tenfold increase for heart arrhythmias, like AFib. Well, uh, in fact, years ago, I challenged that, that, that I challenged that sleep apnea was probably the number one lead point for atrial fibrillation. And some of the cardiologists agreed, most didn't, but now it's actually pretty common knowledge. You cannot actively convert atrial fibrillation back to a good sinus rhythm unless you treat the sleep apnea first. Now, for folks who don't know, uh, give us the 411 on AFib. You got it. So atrial fibrillation is where you have an abnormal rhythm to your heart. The top part of your heart tends to beat uh, uh, way faster than it should. And the bottom part of your heart's sitting there going, what am I supposed to do, guys? You have a little bit of a regulation of the AV node that's trying to say slow down, but uh, these beats escape through and you get an erratic heartbeat, what's called an irregularly irregular rhythm, if that makes any sense. But that rapid heartbeat and the incomplete pumping of the heart itself can cause actually some coagulation of blood in the ventricles, which can lead to clots and those clots can pump. And those clots can pump to areas like the brain where you can have stroke. And you can die. And you can die. Or worse. There's things worse than death, Ron. There's things like being, I don't know, incapacitated, right. uh, having somebody right. have to take care of you for the rest of your life and, and not have to, that, that could go travel cool places like Antarctica and South America. Yes. <laughs> now, that's one of the reasons I'm on a blood thinner to try to reduce yes, the risk of a blood clot. Right, exactly. And, so I'm and, curious, you know, so, you know over, over the years, I've had you know, regular checkups. I'm a big believer in regular checkups with your PCP. Uh, th there have been many doctors and nurse practitioners and medical assistants who've listened to my heart and said, you know, you got a kind of funky heartbeat, but nobody mm -hmm. ever went to AFib until I ended up in the hospital. Interesting, you know, and it could have been a number of things. It could have been you just had some irregular PVCs, which are fairly common. I mean, right. speaking, I see them all the time. You yeah. know, it's, um, it's, it's, not necessarily related at all, a completely different uh, electrical issue in the heart. But uh, I will tell you that um, if the, the better thing rather than listening to maybe looking at EKG would have been if it was PVCs is screening you for obstructive sleep apnea. In fact, our clinics in, in the North Texas area now for every new patient that's an adult and every physical exam that comes in, we do screening for obstructive sleep apnea because it affects so much of the population. And Ron, I want to tell you, besides a tenfold increased risk of atrial fibrillation, you have a five-fold increased risk of heart attack in your lifetime. This is above everybody else in America, which is already high enough. You have a six-fold increased risk of stroke. You have an eight-fold increased risk of, ready for this, Ron, dementia in your lifetime. Oh, wow. That's untreated. Yeah. Now stay with me a minute. We're going to come right back to you. I want to let folks know who may have just joined us. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. We're talking about not only sleep apnea and problems that it can cause, but AFib as well and a whole lot more. Our special guest today, Dr. Charles Powell, he's a physician and chief medical officer at HCAT, Healthcare Associates of Texas. And Dr. Tamika Perry is our co-host today. When you talk about screening all your new patients for sleep apnea, what does that screening entail? 
So there's several screening tests that can be utilized, and we, we put them part of our check-in process. We, they check in through a tablet, basically, and goes through a few questions asking them about uh, fatigue, um, interrupted sleep, various other things that can be mild symptoms that they don't realize. Because, Ron, like your case, mine, which was diagnosed 10 years ago, was actually, um, I, I did the test because we had used equipment to do home sleep studies with, which up to that point, before NMR came out with their watch pad, I didn't think were very accurate. So I did a home sleep study just to see how the equipment worked, and it said I had severe sleep apnea. Wow. Um, I didn't believe it. So I went and I did an in-lab study and I came home and I told my wife, I said, can you believe this thing says I have severe sleep apnea? <laughs> she laughed. She goes, uh, yeah. You know, she goes, why do I not sleep? Why do you think you have bruised ribs in the morning from my bony elbows at night? And, you know, uh, from the elbows getting thrown for the snoring. But what would freak her out is that she would hear those long pauses in snoring. And if you're listening to this right now, if you've, if you've heard of somebody that snores, they have these long, silent pauses, you know, 10 seconds plus longer than suddenly you hear the, what I call the catch-up breath, right? That, that's, that's another classic sign of apnea and uh, so often unrecognized. And what's funny is my, I wouldn't have identified as fatigued. I wouldn't have identified as having just a, a dull mentation or anything. I thought I was just getting older, right? Um, but once I got treatment for my sleep apnea, my world changed. And so there's the immediate effects of if eliminating the symptoms. But then the long-term stuff, which we talked about those increased risks for, are reduced significantly as well with treatments. Now, I don't want to make this show all about me, but this is all about me. One of the <laughs> things that my wife saw, and it made sense after the diagnosis, is we could be sitting and talking with a group of people, and I'd fall asleep. Yeah. And you, oh, you, may have, you may have something that's related to sleep apnea called um, obesity hypoventilation syndrome. And you talked about yeah. the high CO2 levels in your blood where you're just not you know, expelling the CO2 like you're supposed to because you're not breathing properly. You know, uh, Charles talked about those those long periods of time. That's the apneic or the apnea period. That's that sensation of bleeding, of, of breathing where you actually stop breathing. That's what apnea means, stop breathing. Now, my, right. my, my, my wife never noticed snoring or uh, lack of sleep waking up. But then again, she slept so soundly, she was never aware of it, I would guess. Right. You know, I've, I've actually seen a couple of different directions. I've seen the wife uh, sleep so soundly because they've gotten accustomed to it over the years. I've seen spouses that um, also, um, once the husband gets treated, they have to get treated because they were doing it themselves. Um, but you're absolutely right, Dr. Trace. So the, 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 the obesity-related hypotenuse as well is a big issue that we see. But we also see that weight is probably the number one mm -hmm. contributing factor for most cases of obstructive sleep apnea. Um, if you think about the pathology of it all, what's happening? Um, a lot of people think snoring and sleep apnea are one and the same, and instead they're like sisters that tend to go hand in hand. So probably more than two-thirds, three-quarters of the time you do see them together. Snoring is more where the tongue, when you sleep at night, starts to fall back into um, in your airway and hit your soft palate. Well, the snoring is your soft palate vibrating, uh, moving air around the tongue, and but that's not necessarily where apnea comes from. You got to think about that tongue going all the way down your airway. In fact, the tongue muscle fills up the whole angle of the jaw. It's the whole lower jaw. It's a huge muscle. And so lower down in your airway, as you start to sleep at night, your body relaxes. It starts to uh, relax, and that tongue falls back in the airway. And that's where you get the obstruction. It's a hard uh, uh, obstruction at that point where you stop breathing. 
And, and what know, can we, I'm sorry, go ahead, Tamika. No, no, I was just saying, and it's an ugly cycle too, because when you have those apneic periods, your body releases something called ghrelin. Ghrelin is a hormone that tells us that we're hungry. So you, you wake up and say, mm, I want extra sugar on my Rice Krispies. I am super right. hungry. Then you gain weight right. and your apnea gets worse and you release more ghrelin. And it's just this cycle that keeps going. 100%. In fact, I could tell you, I would get up at night once or twice and go get a snack for whatever reason I was craving food. And once I had my apnea treated, that went away. So cool. Wow. So let's talk about treatment. And uh, it, it's clear so many people have sleep apnea because now there are more and more television ads trying to sell stuff to people with sleep apnea. And I want to talk a little bit about that. Let's start with the basics of the so-called CPAP machine that many folks with sleep apnea uh, use at night? So I, I typically will go into three different categories of treatment for sleep apnea. You have positive airway pressure, which is your CPAP, BiPAP machines. Um, and they're typically autopaps these days, which means they can automatically titrate and adjust a little bit based on changes in your body and changes in your sleep patterns. You've got um, your dental devices, which, uh, you know, work in a different way by pulling the jaw slightly forward in the airway. And you've got surgical intervention, which is something I've really been into lately with a new procedure we've developed over the last seven years. So with the CPAP therapy, it kind of works like inflating a flat tire. So think about uh, you've got a flat tire. The rim is on the ground. That is your tongue and your airway. So by putting positive pressure into the airway, it inflates the airway like, like it would a tire bringing that rim off the ground, or in this case, your tongue out of the obstruction, and therefore gives you a patent airway. But it also treats other areas of obstruction, which can occur anywhere from the, um, the upper, uh, the back of the nasal passages all the way down, even the soft palate. And it's a great treatment. It, it works so incredibly well for those that can tolerate it. All right, we're going to come right back to you. Got to do a little business at our end. We're so pleased you are with us, Dr. Charles Powell uh, with Healthcare Associates of Texas. We're talking about sleep apnea and related and sister-like issues, as he mentioned. Our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry, is here. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us. Stick with us on Docs in a Pod. Hi, it's Drew Pearson for my friends at WellMed. As a Hall of Famer, I love it when a quarterback and receiver have a great connection. You can be part of a great connection too. Connecting WellMed's high-quality healthcare with the highest-rated Medicare Advantage plan helps you focus on staying healthy. Call 210-436-6005 or visit wellmedhealthcare.com slash connect. Drew Pearson is a paid spokesperson. Other plans are accepted. For full enrollment details, visit medicare.gov. You know, sometimes the conversation continues through these little breaks, and we're so busy talking, we almost forgot to come back. Hey, thanks for joining us on Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our very special guest, Dr. Charles Powell, Healthcare Associates of Texas is where you find him, and our co-host is with us as well, Dr. Tamika Perry. Uh, so, Dr. Powell, you, you started to tell us off the air, and it's a great story. You were diagnosed with sleep apnea 10 years ago. You didn't believe it at first. You said to your wife, impossible and obviously you believed it tell us about how you got into treatment and what that was like so my sleep apnea was, was great as severe which means i was having uh, more than 30 events per hour where i'd stop breathing for 10 seconds or more and have a four percent drop in my saturations and oxygen that's the criteria but i was actually having 47 events per hour and look i thought some people having 100 to 110 events per hour it's really bad uh and there's moderate and mild sleep apnea we talk about but I, uh, I would start on a CPAP. 
Um, I, I tend to suffer from a little claustrophobia after 16 years in the military, two wars, and wearing a gas mask sometimes and sleeping in them. Oh, no, it just did not bode well for me. And so um, sleeping with something on my face was difficult. I would take it off in the middle of the night. Uh, sometimes I'd fall asleep talking to my wife at bedtime because that was our only free time when you have three kids, right? Huh. Um, and uh, it just wasn't working for me. Um, and, and so for a lot of people, this is an interesting fact and figure that I want to explain. 60% of people fail on CPAP. Now, don't let that be a discouragement to treatment at all. It's the great, it's the best first-line treatment. When I say 60% fail, that's because later in life or later in the year that they're on it or whatever, they, for some reason, stop wearing it. Something breaks, they go on vacation, the wife gets started seeing on the nightstand, it winds up in the closet, and then, you know, maybe on eBay or garage sale two years later. But um, that usually occurs because the physicians that order the CPAP need to also do compliance visits. So I, right. I did not do well at all with CPAP, uh, even though I was doing my compliance visits. Um, and my physician was even saying, well, maybe you need a mild sleep aid to help you sleep with the CPAP. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to add more to it. And, you know, you know Tabika and I see that all the time. You know, here's yeah. one problem. You have to treat another problem with another thing. Um, so I sought out surgery. And I had a couple of traditional surgeries for my sleep apnea, which were more focused on the soft palate and the upper nasal area. But the problem is the tongue in the vast majority of cases. Um, I had just helped. One of, my, one of my pastimes is I help uh, companies bring medical devices to market. My background was engineering when, uh, when I was an undergrad as well. And so it was... Um, I had just gotten off the Ginny McCarthy show up in New York City. That was a really cool experience, by the way. Now, you guys are so much more fun than her, though. I got to say that. Your mouth is cleaner. You don't cuss like her. She's, she's really cool. I, I really like doing it. But I was coming back from that show, and I was connected out of Atlanta, and there was a gentleman at the airport uh, reading a medical journal. got to be a doc, and he's an ENT doc. We got to talking, and he goes, man, there was a technology years ago that was so close, but they just didn't carry it through. It hit the market. Olympus had it, and it just um, it fizzled. It had a high complication rate, uh, only about a 45% success rate. I said, what was it based on? He says, radiofrequency ablation. I went, ah, that's my jam. And so uh, what was interesting is they called for boarding. He was at the wrong gate. That guy now, seven years later, is my partner. As we oh, wow. went back and redeveloped the technology that Olympus had, and actually uh, I, I made some changes I won't geek out with and go into details because we have a short radio show, but we took that product and reinvented it to – be now 85% effective for mild and moderate sleep apnea. And we have results seven years out now. It's a series of five treatments done in the office that take less than three minutes. So uh, it's called the COBRA procedure. It is not out yet. I just received my second patent. So we're going to start, you know, you're going to start seeing more of it. But um, finding alternatives is important because as, as Tamiko will probably tell you, patients, our patients with sleep apnea, uh, either they can't tolerate CPAP or they may fail on it later. If, if they're doing great on it, you leave them alone. Because that's, that's a great treatment. Um, and then so many people don't like the oral device, something in their mouth at night. And to have something that you can just treat and then go to bed every night like a normal human being, it's, it's nice. And the CPAP device, it, it isn't as um, pleasing aesthetically when you're going to bed with your significant other. You <laughs> have this it's, big thing uh, on your head. <laughs> you know? I always joke and say it's the most unflattering thing you can wear to bed at night, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Hey, honey. How was your day? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's it's excellent birth control. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, no excellent. doubt. It's in my fifties. Yeah, I don't know. No more. I'm done. Done. But, so, uh, so Dr. there's Powell, other ways to that, right? You know, I see a product. <laughs> I see a product advertised now called Inspire, uh, which yes. is, I gather, a device that's in, in inserted and you 
click with a little button and man, you never have a problem again. So, what is it? Inspire is, it's an interesting concept, which I, I find intriguing. Um, if you stimulate muscle with electrical current, you cause muscle to contract. And there's efferent, afferent muscles in the tongue where they will put a, essentially a box, almost like a pacemaker into the chest. They will run the wires up into the neck, into the base of the tongue. And then ENT-DOC will go through and make sure that there's little electrodes placed in the right muscle fibers of the tongue. So if you think about it, you know, you've got your tongue falling back in your airway at night. Uh, what this thing does at nighttime, you take a magnet, you turn the machine on, causes the current to start, sends the electrical signal to the, pro to the uh, probes that are placed, causes the tongue to contract. Ah. So basically, it's contacting your tongue forward. <laughs> so again, not awkward conversations at night with the spouse. But what it does is it turns on, it pulls the tongue forward in the airway. Therefore, that rim doesn't fall on the ground like the flat tire analogy I used a little bit ago. And, and the, the issues I've seen with it, I, I've followed up a lot of patients with it in our sleep lab, um, are that um, a lot of patients don't like wearing or using it through the whole night, like the halfway through the night, they're like, ugh, I just, it, 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 and they'll turn it off with the magnet. The problem is, guys, your most two critical hours of sleep are your last two hours of the night. And so when people take off their CPAP at night, when they take their oral device out because their jaw is hurting or they uh, turn off their Inspire, whatever the case is, their most two critical hours are not covered. And, and you know, it's interesting. Uh, and to me, I'd like to see what you think about this. Is it interesting that most cardiac events and vascular events occur within an hour of waking on each side? Yep. And yep. gee, isn't it interesting that most sleep apneas and the most severe episodes of sleep apneas occur in that same two last two hours of sleep, right? I, I do believe, in my opinion, we'll see in time that sleep apnea is a big trigger for a rupture of plaque vessels to cause a heart attack or even stroke. But uh, that's purely a Charlie Powell theory at this point, which uh, just experiences kind of pointing in that direction. Um, but I was seeking out a treatment for people that would actually, um, I don't want to stop short of cure, because we have seven-year data out now, but seven-year data, pretty nice. I mean, Charles, you're probably right, Dr. Powell, because, you know, also with sleep apnea, there's an increase in that fight-or-fight response. You know, your body thinks you're fighting a big bear, right? So there's more adrenaline right. going on, blood pressure's going up. That's probably, you're probably, you're probably spot on the money there. Yeah, you know, think about it. Your body's running on adrenaline all night. So what's happening is your, your tongue is falling back in your airway. It's starting to obstruct your airway. And your body's sitting there going, hey, CO2 levels are going up. Oxygen levels are going down. This ain't cool. Right. Um, the heart starts responding. Uh, body kicks in adrenaline from the adrenal glands. And so it, what it does is it wakes you up. Now, people say, well, I don't wake up during the night. Well, it just takes you from a deeper stage of sleep to an upper level stage of sleep. So you may not get to consciousness. But all night long, you're, you're, you're like a rock skipping above water trying to get deep sleep, and you just can't get into it because every time you do, you stop breathing. And it's that deep sleep where you really recharge the batteries, rebuilding your, neuro, your, your neurochemicals, serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine, and, and all of that stuff. It, it's necessary. It's absolutely necessary when, when you go to you know, run on your batteries the next day, per se, that recharging. I use the analogy. Upper levels of sleep are like having the small charger for your iPhone. And the, the big mega fast charger is like getting into the deep levels of sleep. Right. So people so, find they have to sleep longer to get the same amount of rest. Got about a minute and a half left. And before we go, uh, for those who are listening, either the, the spouse or significant other who thinks uh, their partner may have sleep apnea, or if you yourself think you have it, what do you do? Who do you talk to and what are the next steps? 
Talk to your primary care doc. You know, I always, I always joke around and say people need to spend more time with their primary care provider than they do their hairdresser or their barber, right? Mm-hmm. And there's just that's true data, right? <laughs> um, but you got to have the conversation because so many people take it as they feel normal, but you really aren't. You just have gotten accustomed to feeling bad. Um, if you have high blood pressure, if you have diabetes, if you're overweight, if you get fatigued, if you fall asleep easily during the day, I can't tell you how many cases of depression I've seen are related to this sleep apnea that hasn't been treated. And to make you up sure you've seen it too, patients come in, treatment-resistant hypertension, all this other stuff. Yep. You treat the sleep apnea, and, and the spiral starts coming in the other direction, and things start getting better. It's really pretty amazing. And so talk to your primary care doctor. If they can't handle it, they will refer you to a sleep specialist that can. That's what I was going to ask. A, a sleep specialist, Dr. Perry, do you refer your patients? I do. And sleep specialists can be anywhere from neurologists to pulmonologists to fellowship trained sleep specialists. Very, very critical. Just like Dr. Powell says, everything gets better when you treat that sleep apnea. So the good news is, Dr. Powell, if you didn't have sleep apnea, you would not be so deeply involved in this field. (laughs) That's absolutely right. Actually, I give this to Dr. Kirk Henry, a guy that trained me in residency, who said, you will not order a test on a patient until you've had it done on yourself first. I have been intubated, poked, prodded, anything you can think of. And because of that methodology, I took home that test that night, and that's what started all this. Wow. You're a doctor. I want you. I love that. My, my, dad, my dad had two heart attacks, two strokes, and died of dementia. I'm sorry. And I wonder, if we would have caught a sleep apnea earlier in life, he'd probably right. know his grandkids right Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Charlie Powell, you're a fabulous guest, a great expert. Absolutely. We're delighted, delighted to have you on. You find him at... Uh, a great organization, Health Associates of Texas, HCAT, and we're so pleased you've been with us. For Dr. Tamika Perry, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining yes. us today on Docs in a Pod. Executive producers for Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Natalie Ibarra, and associate producer is Isaac Wilker. Thank you for listening to Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And be sure to tune in next week for another edition of Docs in a Pod with Dr. Tamika Perry and Ron Aaron.